Welcome to Dwight and Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. I'm Josh Breslow, and I play Yakopo. Today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 10, the season finale, Champion Do-Over, Part 1, written by Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams, directed by Ayal Gordon. Guest starring Evan Hofer, Danielle Pisuti, Bonita Frederici, and Kanoa Gu. As always, we have a blanket spoiler alert, so if you haven't watched episode 10 yet, stop whatever you're doing. You can finish tricking a princess into thinking you are a worthy champion later, and watch Champion Do-Over Part 1 either on BYUTV or at BYUTV.com slash Dwight. First, a quick recap. Already captured by a hungry ogre who intends to make Prinducken out of her, Greta is saved by Sir Aldred, a warrior who had been riding to her rescue when the champion spell had taken effect. He proclaims to know a way to redo the champion spell, binding himself to Greta as her champion instead of Dwight. Now Dwight and Greta must decide if they would both be safer and happier with this gallant stranger as Greta's new champion. And now that everyone's been brought up to date, let's get to our guests. For our season finale, we have once again the creators and showrunners of Dwight and Shining Armor, Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams. Good to be here, Josh. The season finale. Here we go. I like here it. We go. <laughs> Me too. We have BAFTA-nominated actress Danielle Bizzuti, or as we know her, Hexel of the Witch. Keep it going. Keep it going. Do you take those BAFTAs with you everywhere? I do. I (laughs) feel like they're in her purse. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, we have Princess Greta, the one and only Caitlin Carmichael. Glad to be here. So happy to have you here. Let's jump in because this is a big episode. Um, this episode starts with failure, not for the first time. Dwight and Baldrick have already let Greta get captured by an ogre, much like Lotions and Potions, which starts with Greta's capture by Hexala. Was it important at the beginning of this episode, even before Sir Aldred shows up, to show that Baldrick and Dwight are perhaps not great protectors of Greta? Sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we we don't uh, we don't want the, our audience to forget that Princess Greta has scores of enemies. Uh, we want we want to keep that idea alive in in our audience's minds. And they're serious enemies. And they are serious. And enemies. diplomacy only gets you so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so we wanted to set up a scenario here where uh, where Dwight's and Baldrick's skills are not going to be the right ones to defeat an ogre and and they're they're left in a bad situation they don't have a good plan um and and that and into that <laughs> although i do love love dwight's plan as he outlines it yeah dwight, dwight's plan of you run that way screaming your head off and flailing your arms like you're then being we'll attacked by our options. so that's about as much as they have in this moment and then into that void of heroism comes the perfect hero yes. so we would really try to tee it up to give kanoa who plays sir aldred this really glorious and we had to fight so hard for that horse. Oh, that, that horse oh died in pre-production many deaths. <laughs> Horses, are, you know, they're expensive and they're a pain to work with on set and it's a big deal and, and, and we really had to fight to put him on a horse because we had to have him be this classic knight in shining armor that comes in on the horse and, and so it was a trick to even get the horse on our set. Wow. Well, and I, and I have to give a shout out to Gabe Jessup, uh, one of, uh, actually a guy who did a ton of things uh, on our show, but he was on the art crew mainly. He actually helped us sell the idea of the horse because he said, I'll ride it. And if not, I don't think that was oh, his wow. horse, but he was a, a you know an experienced 
horsemen. And so when you see uh, Sir Aldred come galloping in, it's actually Gabe galloping in on, on, on the horse. I was about to ask if Canoa was on the horse. I clearly didn't no, know. There, there are yeah. three Sir Aldreds in that opening scene. There's the Sir Aldred on the horse. There's the Sir Aldred who does a lot of the heavy fighting. And, and the then flip. there's Canoa and the flip. Yeah. So we had three Sir Aldreds and they all looked remarkably alike. And so everywhere you look, there was a Sir Aldred all day. <laughs> um, well, the other thing is Gabe, Gabe, even though he was dressed as Sir Aldred and he was he was a stunt writer for the day, he also still had to you know decorate the set and do all the stuff. So he was running around like moving stuff in full Sir Aldred garb. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I like that a lot. Um, there's a great moment where Dwight unlocks the chicken with the tinier of the two keys. <laughs> Was this a symbolism for his cowardice? I mean, it's literally a chicken. No. It's a tinier key. Not at all. It's pure love. And, <laughs> and, and, and I think there's nothing more Dwightish than saving the animals. I mean, obviously, Dwight made sure that Greta's okay, but you know she was taken care of. And so the next thing, he's got to make sure that the animal animals are Filming people too. Filming with those chickens and the duck. Oh my gosh. How many times in the first day did Sloan get pooped on? A lot. And, and th- this is no joke. In that, This is no joke. When that horse came running in, that chicken was so scared it laid an egg I am not joking oh, it, it literally and I, did, I, did, I thought that was sort of like a you know just like a saying oh you laid an egg like that chicken laid an egg and we had to retake it because an egg fell off the rock I'm not joking it thought its life was over it was yeah, procreating one more it. egg yeah. out alright so I'm going to dive into this next thing piecemeal because I don't want to appear unprofessional or biased despite my strong feelings about Sir Aldred boo <laughs> yeah uh. the spell that saved Greta and Baldrick a thousand years ago is the same spell that stopped Sir Aldred from getting to her. Was this your first writerly breadcrumb for us to perhaps think Sir Aldred was not altogether altruistic? Only on a second viewing. We, we really did want that, that when people first meet Sir Aldred, they're buying it. You know, yeah. they're, they're thinking this guy's awesome. And yeah, I bet he was coming to save her from the siege. And, but then in the, at the end, when we know that there's something not right about this guy, that's when you replay moments like that in your mind and think, wait, why was he heading toward Greta all those years ago? There was something more going on here. So in the, in the moment, we definitely want you to just go with it. Right. Um, and then replay it later and think, hold on just a second. What's he up to? Well, I can definitely vouch for that. Even as actress, when Kanoa got on the set, he is the most charming oh, person you will ever meet. <laughs> just like the perfect prince you think of. And we were all talking about it saying, is he going to be able to be this evil person? Because oh, just he's wait. just dripping sweet in such a genuine way that mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a facade at all. And once we finally start um, revealing a little bit more of his character in episodes to come, (laughs) I can't talk about it too much. We were blown away by the duality of his performance. Absolutely. And then on second impression, I was like, look at the nuances that he was planting in all those scenes ago. He did an excellent job. Yeah, he really did. Let's listen to a clip. Come, Sir Dwight, raise a tankard with us. No, thanks. That stuff will take the enamel off your teeth. Ah, strong spirits. Orange soda. Go on, Sir Aldred. How did you escape the goblin lair? By brute force, naturally. Naturally. (laughs) Is that how you came about this scar? No, Highness. Um, This was given me by a howler some years ago. Did you say a howler? I did. What's a howler? This was given to me by a howler during the siege of our cliffside fortress. What, what's a howler? Vicious beasts, those howlers. We had to remove the fangs with flaming hot pincers. What's a howler? It's a creature that cannot be described, Sir Dwight. Caitlin, Greta seems like she's talking to someone of her own age who matches her experiences and intelligence for the first time when she's talking to Sir Aldred um, around the dinner table comparing scars. 
Is this the most relaxed Greta has felt since she woke up? And are we seeing a bit of what she was like before the castle came under siege? Yes and no. Even though that wasn't a yes or no question. Um, I feel like as the episodes go on, Greta grows a little bit more comfortable in the modern world. But when I was filming the scene, was thinking less about the companionship with Sir Aldred, but more about um, how the conversation would look from Dwight's outsider perspective. It's kind of like when you meet someone and you feel like you've known them for ages and right. you just have an instant soul connection, wanting to make sure that it seemed like Greta and I keep wanting to call him Kanoa, but Greta and Sir Aldred are very like-minded and very similar just because it's one of the first times that we see someone other than Baldrick or Hexala that's of a same position as Greta and is not having to fight the fish out of water sense to carry on a conversation that they just instantly think in the same way and that it does kind of open the door even more for her to be more comfortable so when adding that on to how she's evolved over the 10 episodes it just is kind of a new side of her for the viewers yeah and you kind of feel like oh she's so relaxed how <laughs> wonderful for her right and yeah. then it's kind of the irony of it is oh she's so relaxed <laughs> yeah, look how she's comfortable let her guard she down. is yeah. yeah well he's she's not thinking it yet uh, but he's everything she hoped uh, that her champion would be. Like, right. couldn't this have been the guy? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we have had all this shared experience and we speak the same language and he's so good with a sword. And I mean, and all of that is in Greta's face and she's not consciously thinking it, but you know Dwight is. Absolutely. He's on that thought way early yeah. that, that this guy is everything I'm not. Absolutely, yeah. That's clearly there. He is observing a lot yeah. in this yeah. episode. Um in that scene, this is just a quick side thing. Greta and Sir Aldred share experiences and they're comparing scars. Is this a direct reference to the old lethal weapon scene? <laughs> I, 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 I'm sure that's in there. I mean, I, I, I mean that's such a great scene. And I, I wish we uh, could have, we should have played it out even longer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the howler got you. <laughs> well, look what this ogre did to but me. But haven't we all done that? Oh, like, yeah. well, you know, I, shared our stories about our wisdom teeth. Well, I'll tell you a wisdom teeth story. <laughs> or, you know, we, we do that. We have to kind of, in order to, to feel that we're we're sharing an experience, we have to try to one up each other. And, and well, so not just lethal and, weapon, but we all do it. Well, and, and I think the, the best scene that actually was more in my, in my mind was the one from Jaws, you know, the USS Indian. Indianapolis yes. scene because that that trumps everything. Yeah. That's the I walked on the moon moment. <laughs> if you if you know that comedy routine, those are great tropes to to play with, and we we certainly all that stuff is is in there. Yeah, and it's an easy way for them to build kinship mm-hmm. really yeah. quickly. It's physical example of of their shared experiences and like brian was saying it is the first time that we see someone that's challenging greta even though they have a similar story to tell but it's one-upping each other on the sense of how they each got the scars and it's something that dwight cannot contribute to at all except for maybe getting scratched by the duck i don't know so and and the whole time though they're having this bonding over the howler what's a howler just like what's a howler what's a howler howler?" oh it was so sad it was so sad it it was sad but it was so funny it was so funny It's something that cannot be described, Sir Dwight. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good Joel. So, we have a big Claudwig moment here. He comes through the door. (laughs) Yes. I do believe this is the first scene in this season where he enters a scene... Just walking physical. His presence is accounted for. What's going on? Exactly. Um, But he also has the most appropriate reaction to Sir Aldred of everyone. And it's fun because it's very Shakespearean. We always think of Claudwig as the fool. Uh And he's on it. You know, friend or foe is the common thing that even Greta usually leads with. Mm. But he keeps 
needling him with questions. Um, he wants to know his history. He wants to know who he is. He remembers the name, which also happens with Hexila later. Are we seeing Claudwig's intelligence come through here in a way we haven't before? Absolutely. I, I think as much as we do have fun with with Claudwig, you know, playing the the fool, he's he's a smart guy, and obviously he's he's been trained and he has legitimate skills, and he's also seen a lot of the darkness that there is in the world. So he he knows when he should be on his guard. And you're right. Of the entire you know ensemble, he's the one that really gets this right from the beginning, and consequently, spoiler alert, he's the one that that first you know suffers the wrath as well. Yeah, that's a scene I would love to see. Is, is him <laughs> to Sir Aldred and how that came about. But also, it's not just that he has keen instincts, but also he's always thinking in a way differently than what the rest of our ensemble is. Yeah, that's true. So if we were to all, for instance, think that he's evil. Claudwig might see the best yeah. in him. So it's just yeah. that we expect from Claudwig to That's think the opposite, point. but we never expect him to be correct when others are not. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight is being a really incredible host in this marshmallow scene, in the s'mores scene. He's giving them something from his time, which are marshmallows and s'mores, but he's also having them roast over a fire, which is very kind of him to offer them something that they're used to. And then when Sir Aldred invents s'mores, he doesn't protest. <laughs> he allows it to happen. Um, <laughs> Is Dwight's kindness to his own detriment in this episode? Well, nice guys finish last, right? Like in, in this in this case, like his, his really great manners uh, and his his um, non confrontational nature in this case does let Sir Alder just walk all over him and completely outshine him. And you can tell that it's that it's bothering him, but he's just way too good of a guy to spoil everyone's evening over his hurt feelings. And and honestly, if he were to react any other way than he did, we wouldn't believe it of Dwight. You know? Right. If he were to get all sulky and pouty and grab the marshmallows and take off and say, I you didn't invent s'mores. <laughs> I mean if he were to do that <laughs> well, uh, well he also we has faith in his relationship with Greta and yeah. Baldrick, sadly, thinking yeah. that I've been here the whole time. Yes, if someone exactly. else wants to come in, you know, that's fine, and then it'll pass. Yeah, and yeah. He has his confidence, and then, right. But I just realized it's. You were saying that he's non-confrontational, but the marshmallow thing might even be in the first place because in the previous episode we watch Greta try to charm someone with food and this delicacy right. of her time, <laughs> and now Dwight's maybe trying to do the same thing with something of his time. Absolutely, thinking that it's going to go as planned and work in his yeah, favor. Yeah, but then... well, it's the only thing he can offer. He can make his tofu cashew lettuce wraps. Right. <laughs> he can do the s'mores because he's trying so hard to be pertinent in this scene, and and that's all he can really offer. He doesn't have any scars from a howler. He can't share any of these stories but so so that's all is the best he can offer and at every turn sir aldred manages to outshine him yeah so sir aldred presents the idea of the unbinding spell he is shameless in his desire to be princess greta's champion and in this moment it reads so plainly on greta's face that thematically this episode is really about emotion and gut versus logic that was deep josh <laughs> it was it, it was and, and i i think Thematically, you're spot on with the gut versus logic. And, and also, fate plays a big part in, yes. uh, into this episode and, and into our story. And I think fate has given Dwight and Greta what they need. And I think they really feel that in this episode. Uh, but in, in their head, uh, they're thinking, this doesn't make sense. And they want to mm -hmm. get what, what they want, which you know, Greta wants, a, if a I can champion. say this, a real champion. And Dwight wants... A normal life, you know, his normal life back. Mm -hmm. and, and they and both want the best for each other, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and they, I think in their head, they see that's, that's what, we, what we want. Uh, but in, in their gut, even when they're saying that, 
it doesn't feel right. And that's because, you know, fate is involved here. Yes. Mm. We're going to talk about that more <laughs> okay. later. I love that. I love that. Very small question. Were you punning on the line, he plays the liar? Because of yes, course. he does. <laughs> of course he plays Never. the liar. All right, good. I'm glad. Danielle. Yes, sir. Um, Dwight comes to Hexla's boutique and talks to Nana, and he's trying to convince himself that Sir Aldred would be the better choice. To me, you have a very difficult job in this scene because you're playing the observer more than the participant, but you do a great job giving focus and remaining engaged and engaging Something's clearly going on for Hexla in this scene. What is going on for Hexla in this moment? The main thing I was thinking was don't screw up all these props because <laughs> it was literally could not believe yeah. how much action I had. And, you know, the pressure sort of on. It's like it wasn't necessarily what I was saying because it was there was so much information that, you know, you'd written in that scene. It was a little bit less about Hexla, but she's always listening. I feel like she's sort of omnipresent in, in a way. Like she's always sort of using all of her ses- senses and her sixth sense to sort of pick up what's going on so even though she was sort of putting the mask on and this that the other she's also like pulling in information mm-hmm. and sort of processing what is this but it doesn't quite click until the end if I yeah, remember correctly. Well, she's just very coolly finding out okay Sir Aldred I know that name mm-hmm. that sounds like a very accomplished young man she's mm-hmm. just asking these little questions but never disrupting her client's experience. Never. No, no, no. <laughs> so um, and, and she's very cool about it too she has her suspicions but we won't really see until the next episode she's one to play all her cards right she does not play all of her cards yes she holds them close to the vest because uh, I think it's important to assess she's sort of um, as you Mm -hmm. said sort of putting all the pieces together and then of course it gets revealed later which Mm -hmm. I cannot say Josh I cannot say (laughs) that's all right. I forgive you but that actually I hadn't thought about the fact that Hexla's vocation puts her in a position to get information all the time when you put someone in the beauty chair the dish comes comes (laughs) i truly love so hard that you avoid the trope of two people miscommunicating what they really want in one of those you go first no you scenes which is how you think the scene's going to go and those scenes always end in heartbreak and frustration for audience members because i think those scenes generally destroy the intelligence of of characters um but in this dwight and greta navigate the situation with successful communication and they both decide that they want to keep things as they are it's only the ogre's attack of greta despite dwight totally immediately saving her life that makes them uh, immediately change their minds with the great line five minutes ago we were idiots Um, this kind of scene seems very difficult to write does it develop over time through drafts or does it just fall out of your fingers? Well, this was a scene that we anticipated almost from the pilot. We, we were building this episode right around the same time that we were building the pilot because wow. because we thought, you know, it, season one is going to be about them being so uncomfortable with each other that they, in their heart of hearts, are thinking, this is not the guy or this is not the life that I want. And then we're going to present them with a way out. Mm. And they're they're going to be they're going to think, I should want this. Why don't I want this? It's what I've thought I wanted all this time. So we knew from the very beginning that we were heading to this episode. So, and we, that we were heading to that scene. And it was super important that they come to the conclusion together that, that Greta, you should have him for your champion. If Greta had said, Sir Dwight, I've thought long and hard about it. You're not the guy. I'm going with Sir Aldred. We would never have forgiven Greta for that. Right. Um, but uh, but they, she doesn't. She's, in fact, prepared to say, let's make this work. And so is he. And then together they come to the conclusion, 
we're better off. We're safer. You're better off if you go with that guy. And it had to be the two of them together or we would never have forgiven her. I completely agree. It also would have resulted in melodrama. Sure. As opposed to real smart people making a decision together and and weighing the evidence. Yeah, Yeah, We'll see how smart the decision was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who is the stunt actor who plays the troll? Because his physical comedy is... Gary! Gary Casper. I have to say... Gary was one of the gems of, of really the entire show so far. I mean, first of all, he's amazing on camera, which you can see. But what you don't see is how incredible he, he was like an inspiration to the whole yeah. uh, cast and crew. He's yeah. just he's a person who is into his job. He's 100 percent all the time, 100 percent on. And he was just he really was an incredible human being. And he was introduced to us when uh, our stunt coordinator Chris Gann got the script. He's like, oh, I know just the guy. And so he, he actually, Gary self-taped uh, an audition. And one of the things we really loved is that he had he had the kind of Swedish chef, uh, you know, when he was, <laughs> he was cooking, like, he was doing all that. But then he also, you know, he's a trained combat professional. And so he immediately turned it into like, you know, Jason Bourne kind of fighting where he's grabbing, you know, like a carrot and becomes a weapon. And his audition was so fantastic. So that was great. But then once, really, I wish I could communicate how incredible he was, uh, you know, on he this set. He was just a joy. There was a moment we were setting up. You, you were there, Caitlin. That you guys were, you and and Sloan were facing each other in that scene where you're deciding let's stick this out. And Gary got something crossed. Came in way too early, but he came in <laughs> just full on, 150 percent. Oh yeah, <laughs> primal, primal instincts, yelling at the top of his lungs. I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's happening? And then he immediately Gary, like, he comes in with, oh, the, he comes oh. in with the. <laughs> Club and yeah. is swinging it, and no one's prepared to go to fight him <laughs> off. And, and and if Kanoa were here, I know for sure that obviously they have the moment where uh, Sir Aldred is fighting off the troll, and Gary uh, was trying to coach him uh, right on the set in right, character. Right, right, right where we were shooting, he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna smash your head. Be calm. Be calm. <laughs> relax. Relax." And he was, it was just, it was incredible to watch. And some of that made like a, a behind the scenes oh, um, I want to video see that. somewhere. That yeah, well, we made. have we have video of Kanoa because he did. Kanoa didn't really know if we were in rehearsal or if we were filming <laughs> because shooting. he's being talked to and Kanoa was like and he uh-huh, was, you're right he was uh-huh. always talking in the ogre voice even when he, he wasn't was, which, which <laughs> poor Kanoa was so confused be calm <laughs> when, when someone has their hands around your throat and is trying to bob your head back and forth and, and is yelling that relax, at you of course <laughs> he really was just an amazing we gotta write something else for oh, Gary that's because great. he was just amazing my favorite moment of his was when he finally gets clunked over the head with the rock and he does the full stand up yeah. and then yeah, the knees buckle it's just he's well, a cartoon and, and and that rock also just real quickly was was an improvisation on the on the day because we we ordered a a huge vase to smash over his head. We, that's breakaway <laughs> glass. You can't just smash it. And and we showed up. We're like. It's like a mini vase. Like it would, it's gonna hold a dandelion, and that's it. And so that's not gonna knock this it's like guy the out. The opposite of the snow cone shack. Yeah, it's the, it's <laughs> it's it's spinal tap all over again. <laughs> so so yeah, we had to, and, and actually I thought it was great because we got to have the sma- smash with the vase, and then we got to really knock yeah, him out with the yeah. Fake that, that that's great. That's a great happy accident. Yeah. Caitlin, we also hit another theme here. Um, of choice versus fate. Uh, Brian was already talking about it a little bit. Dwight was the champion fated to protect Greta, but Greta says Sir Aldred is the champion of her choice. Mm. This seems like bad faith to me. What did it take to wrap Greta's mind around changing her champion? And do you think the decision ever feels good for her in her gut? 
I think that this this was a very heartbreaking scene to film because I was looking at it so much from an outsider perspective of a fan that's reading these scripts and seeing the episodes come in. I was like, Greta, don't do this. Why am I having to say this? But I was not allowed to change my lines. Um, but I, I definitely don't think it's something that necessarily feels right. But when it's what your head is telling you to do and you think in the moment that it's the best decision you should make. But I think that Greta's motives more in this is doing what's best for Dwight because she wants to protect him in the way that he's shown to her kind of way. That's really and when this ogre comes about, he Dwight just saved her life. But if the circumstances hadn't worked out like that, Dwight could have been at risk. Mm-hmm. So it's in the way of kind of putting others before her, which is something that Greta's learning from Dwight, I think. That's a so, sweet perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. It, d- it definitely is, but I don't think it's necessarily what Greta wants, but it's what she feels like she should do. That's yeah. really interesting. Um, it's gonna... not what I wanted to do, but it's what I had to say. <laughs> it's in the script. They made me do it. It's in the script. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get even nerdier now. Um, this bad faith decision really feels like a throwback to epic literature like the Aeneid and more specifically mm-hmm. tales with Cassandra, the never believed truth teller. We've talked at length about Norse, Celtic, Germanic mythologies amongst others uh, making their way onto the show. But this particular plot device seems like a nod to old literary techniques. Was this conscious? Yeah. In this case, they have put so much faith, if you will, that fate had something in mind here. How oddly fate conspires is a theme that is played out uh, many, many times. And then here in this moment when they should be devoting themselves to to that religion, if you will, they betray it. Yes. Uh, And they they go with the logical Mm. choice instead of with what they've believed all along, that this is somehow going to work out. And Dwight has proven, like, like Greta says in one of my favorite moments with Greta, when she's saying, you know, I've I've known many warriors, Baldrick, many have spoken brave words to me and left me when brave deeds were needed, mm. but Dwight has never failed me. Yeah. And that was the moment yeah. that she should have stuck with. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was fate talking to her. Um, that was faith in her heart. And then later she turns turns on it because it all feels so logical in her head to go with Sir Aldred. Yeah, it really does feel like in an a religious way, this is largely about faith versus yep. temptation in this mm-hmm. episode. Yep. It is, and, and about giving in to that that lack of belief, even when mm-hmm. it's been like 100% confirmed to you, in, like in, in that moment, then in the moment of weakness, it all goes out the window. Five minutes ago, we were idiots. Five minutes ago, exactly. It's about suppressing your gut instinct yeah. for yeah. what you think you should you feel. You should yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's listen to another clip. We shall return tomorrow. Great, have fun. New sword? It was my grandmother's. Oh, I thought the other one was your grandmother's. She had a lot of swords. Things won't be exactly as they have been. Everything happens for a reason. Sir Aldred showing up when he did, it was... It was meant to be. We'll still be friends. Friends. Good luck, Greta. Thank you, Dwight. So, Caitlin, did it seem telling to you that Greta and Dwight have such a hard time saying goodbye? Actually, this scene was one of the most interesting to film, and I have to give a huge thank you to Ayal, our director on this. This was our first day of filming The Champion Do-Over. I think we said the goodbye scenes, so which was one of the, the most awkward because I hadn't really felt how anything else with mm-hmm. Sir Aldred or the storyline was going to play out yet. So my immediate instinct was to make it a 
more melodramatic scene to really sell the bittersweet moment of saying goodbye. And Sloan and I were working on the scene and we were just making ourselves sad saying it and rehearsing it in whatever way was going to tug at the heartstrings of the viewers more. But after we did the very first take of it, Ayal, our director, came up and said, you know, why don't you try it just with a little less emotion? Be a bit more stoic to both of us. And I was like, but it, but it, we want people to be sad that we're saying goodbye. <laughs> we don't want it to seem like it's the right decision, right? And he says, just trust me. So when we ended up going about the scene, something about us both trying to keep our guards up makes it even a little bit more heartbreaking oh, looking back on it because it does, we're trying yeah. not to be vulnerable and that showcases it even more. Yeah. So looking back on it, it's even more sad than how it originally played out because there's a bit of irony there. Because yeah. both of us think the other wow. thinks we're making the right yeah. decision. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Yeah, it very much feels like two people in denial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like you're not admitting to yourselves that you're oh, really saying goodbye. Oh, and the audience goodbye. is like, come no, on, just say it. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Less is more. That's right. Yes. That's right. Uh, so Danielle, then Hexla shows up Indeed. and verifies our fears. Sir Aldred is the devil himself, and they must abscond to the woods after Greta quickly. Has Hexla always been on the side mm. of protecting the princess and the realm? You mean when I'm not trying to steal her bones? Exactly. Because the bones, no joke, the bones are for a very specific purpose. You're not trying to kill her. You're not trying to ruin her kingdom. You just need your potion. Truly. So that, I mean, that is a very interesting question. And I can answer it not completely. Please. Because I cannot reveal all of my secrets. But I think Hexala is a card-carrying member of the Independent Party. Okay. Which means she doesn't really adhere herself to either side. She needs to assess all the information. Overall, do I think she has good intentions or wants to see the good happen? Yes, perhaps. But good is so relative. Yes. And I think that ultimately she she does look out for herself because I think that there's a past there that may get revealed. I don't know what's inside the brilliant minds of these people. <laughs> but she's had to take care of herself from day one. Do I think at this point in the story that there is care for Greta and um, obviously Baldrick and Dwight and um, Claudewick? I do think so. I do think we start to see that sort of <laughs> cold, cold heart, not cold, <laughs> but, but sort of melt and open up a little bit because she is aware of the greater danger. And when you know there's the greater danger, kind of like in Game of Thrones, when you have the White Walkers, people that may be at odds with each other now have to band together. And I think that's one of the things I'm the most excited about in being a part of Dwight and Shining Armor. Mm-hmm. is that uh, there's some really, really great little breadcrumbs that are being laid for this greater uh, fight. Right, like in episode seven, Winnie the Wyvern, we're talking about the Dark Realm and you kind of are the guardians of that now. I love that. Uh, so Brian and Leanne, I want to ask you some questions about the cliffhanger that ends this season. And to do so, I'd like to quote Michael Scott from The Office with regard to the cliffhanger. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Who do you think you are? (laughs) What gives you the right? (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) All right. Well, Brian and I grew up in the 80s. We were kids in the 80s when 
when this happened to you every spring, yes. every so show. many episodes of Scooby Doo oh. or the Dukes of Hazard. They're like mid jump in the you know in the and generally and it's to like, be continued. Yeah. And it was this sweet, delicious anguish. And you'd immediately call your friends like, "Can, <laughs> Can you, you believe you did it? that?" But and then you'd, you'd also be talking about the show and like, "What do you think's gonna happen next yeah. week or next, you know, next season?" And so, and this is a show that relies so much on the imagination of our audience. I mean, we don't have the grandiose budget that other shows have we have to we have to in, get our audience to come with us in their imagination and fill in the gaps for us and so in this case we want our audience to spend all summer dreaming in this world so fun uh, and it's it's part of the fun yeah. is it, it, to be teased that way it, it, it is a pleasure a painful pleasure if yes. such a thing exists <laughs> yes. it, it, it is it is a, a, a painful pleasure and also for Leanne and me we also have to keep the audience that sits in the network headquarters wanting more. Yeah. And so to, to end that on a uh, cliffhanger, we hoped, and at least in this case, it worked to like, well, if you want to find out what happened, <laughs> you got to buy some more episodes. So Andra, <laughs> that cliffhanger is for you. Yes. And our cast, they sent us the script and I just, you know, I gave a call like, okay, so then, then what happens? They said, "Oh no, you're gonna have to wait to find out." <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean? I'm under contract. Don't I? Don't I get to know?" And like no. they said, spent the entire summer of hiatus thinking, "What's gonna what's happen?" And how was that I experience was, for you? It was. <laughs> what did you say? Deliciously anguishing. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap up this season. From the beginning to the end of the first season of Dwight and Shining Armor, this is for all of you. How have you changed? How has the show affected your lives? Well, we became, I feel like we became family really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I, I talk about this a lot ad nauseum <laughs> because um, I've been around the block and uh, I've been on some sets and in some uh, regular uh, positions where uh, you don't necessarily have that. And I have to, this is actually, I'm so glad that the three of you are in this room. So it's, and, and of course, if Sloan was here, it's a real testament to like the showrunners mm -hmm. and number one and two on the call sheet. Yes. There's such great purity. There's such love. I mean, it could go any way from Sunday. You just don't know. And so I think as people, we really genuinely love and care about each other. And I think that we're all a little on the geeky side so like this type of lore and storytelling is really exciting we're, we're so us. invested we're I mean I don't yeah. want to say we're our own biggest fans but it no, feels like we it are because it's like reading fan fiction about ourselves every week yeah and it's and it's really cool I'm personally um, this has just been an incredible journey for me and I'm so happy to be taking it and I also am excited for the crossover because with my video game um, God mm. of War mm -hmm. They love this content. Yeah. And so it felt like a perfect fit, like that only God could have orchestrated mm -hmm. because at that point I was sort of like, okay, like I'm a loose cannon. Who's going to hire me? You know, <laughs> not that I'm a loose cannon, but I was like, I was available. And then I had just uh, wrapped up with God of War and then this just fell right into place and it felt like there was such um, synergy and like kismet and serendipity. So um, yeah, I feel just blessed. That's the answer. I feel blessed. Beautiful answer. Oh, that was, that was a great answer. I don't want to follow that. Um, I think... Well, over not only the course of the first season of filming, but the first time episodes are being released, it's so completely surreal that I can say this every week, but that other people besides us are watching what we filmed and what we're putting out into the universe. And I think that each of our episodes comes with a moral to them in some type of way, like what we were saying in this one, um, uh, your head versus your heart, a fate versus your intuition. Um, and I think just looking back on it and learning from the things we've gotten to portray on screen from an outsider's perspective and learning from the characters that have been so brilliantly crafted for us, it's definitely 
invaluable for sure and just grateful for what's to come and to see what happens next. Mm. Yeah. Well, for Leanne and me, I, this is a world we've lived in in our own heads for so long. I mean, I think we're approaching a decade now and it's been just such an incredible gift and, and just so humbling to see the world be brought to life by incredible actors, by incredible, you know, and talented, you know, crew and by a supportive network. And then to be able to walk out onto those sets and to see like, wow, here's another thing we dreamed up. And there it is. It's 16 feet tall. Wow. And, and, you know, and, and, and we, I mean, obviously this is our full-time, you know, 24 seven job. And so it's uh, you ask how how it's changed our life. Like there's nothing else in our life besides. <laughs> I mean, it's all encompassing, and we have two sons, and you know whatever we're doing, we're almost always talking about this show in some aspect, either something that happened or something that's planned to happen, or you know some potential storyline. And so uh, this is, I mean, it's fully all-encompassing for us and and it's been just an incredibly uh, wonderful and journey and that we're we're very grateful to be on yeah i the buddha said (laughs) you have cause for nothing but gratitude Mm -hmm. and that's how i have felt that has been my mantra for the last year and a half as we've been working on the show that this is my dream come true there are ups and downs and challenges and frustrations and everyday things that that get my heart racing you know either in a good way or a bad way but at the end of the day i have cause for nothing but gratitude this is amazing well, that's really beautiful all right well that wraps it up for the first season of dwight and shining armor the sunken kingdom the behind the scenes podcast about everything dwight thank you danielle caitlin brian and leanne Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Josh. Great first season. Let's do it again. We did it. Sounds good. And Brian and Leanne, thank you again for letting me go full TV nerd with this podcast. (laughs) I've had too much fun with it. Oh, I I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You can follow Danielle on Instagram at Danielle Basuti. You can follow Caitlin at ReallyCaitlinXOX. You can follow Brian at Brian underscore J underscore Adams. And yes, it's still true. You can follow Leanne at Leanne H. Adams. You did it! Congratulations! (laughs) And if you have any questions that are as yet unanswered about Champion Do-Over Part 1, please tweet your questions or send video questions to at Dwight and Armor, and we'll tackle them somehow, someday, somewhere. We'll be back next season with Champion Do-Over Part 2. Till then, I'm Josh Breslow. Thanks for listening. Go on an adventure today. It might change your life.